Welcome back to the Alex Samu I Am A PT podcast. Alex is on a much-deserved family vacation, hence his absence here tonight. Hope everyone had an enjoyable holiday weekend. Alex and I believe in increased accessibility. So you could find our podcast, the Alex Samu podcast, on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. So subscribe, rate, and review. You can find us on major social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have yet to subscribe to our YouTube channel, please take a moment to do so now. Diversity, equity, and inclusion have become buzzwords, highly controversial. It's like the third rail conversation in physical therapy, the cause of much heated debates, blocks, and deletes. Human nature is very complex. In our own everyday, regular routine, it's hard for us to move beyond our own comfort zones. We all have our own implicit biases. So instead of demoralizing and demonizing those who choose not to speak up or who have the boldness to speak their own truth, let's engage in respectful discussion around this issue so we can indeed move our profession and our society forward. Tonight joining me are my colleagues from the APTA Maryland chapter, President J.D. Shepard, DEI committee chair, Mike Yukor, mentorship leader, Clarice Labor, Centennial Scholar, and someone who was fortunate to be one of my clinical instructors when I attended Howard PT program, LaDonna Dingle, and Kendra Kittrell Chavez. Welcome, guys, and thank you for accepting the invitation to be on tonight. So, this committee was formed after, I believe, the George Floyd incident, and uh, current president J.D. Shepard is going to explain to us why the board of directors of APT of Maryland decided that this committee was needed and worth forming. Welcome to the show, J.D. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on. Um, but yeah, you kind of hit it on the head. It was right after um, the murder of George Floyd. Um, a couple of us on the board had thought, you know, we need to come out and, and make a statement on this. Um, you know, our silence is saying something. Um, so we, we need to, to make a, a firm stance. Um, our board, uh, you know, a couple of us on the board put together a statement, started to to circulate it around the board. Um, and we, we almost preempted uh, the national chapter, but it worked out well that um, the national chapter put out its statement. And then our board um, set out our statement maybe maybe an hour after after they had. Um, and so after after making that statement, you know, we decided, you know what, we need to live up to the words that we just put out into the world 
and we need a more diverse um, workforce. We need our clinicians and physical therapists to look like the community that we represent. And, and so we decided that we needed to, to start a DEI committee in uh, APT Maryland. There were a, a few other components that had had DEI committees, but not, not very many. Um, I reached out to um, Eric Maida um, from the Sports Academy, who was instrumental in putting together their um, DEI committee. And he really helped us out as to you know, how to do those first steps of, of putting together a, a DEI committee. Okay. Uh, thanks for sharing uh, that piece of information. So the committee was formed. So there is an increased uh, presence or numbers of diverse members on the committee. Maryland is indeed a very diverse state, but it's not a big state. So we are somewhat reflecting the population that we serve. However, unfortunately, I haven't yet to see a Hispanic or Asian uh, member being represented uh, on the DEI committee, but we do have some in leadership, uh, which speaks volumes for our chapter. For those who say that it's a political issue and has no place in physical therapy, and there are people, businesses, chapters, sessions, and the national organization as a whole who make statements that if they do push others beyond the comfort limit, we're alienating a certain section of membership and the population. What do you have to say about the pushback if you guys received any from members or even persons on the board about forming a DEI committee? Um, nope. Forming the D, forming the committee, there was very little pushback at all. Um, pretty sure it was unanimous um, consent to form form the committee, um, and, and this was again in the in the wake of the George Floyd Floyd murder, where the sent public sentiment was much higher for making reform. Um, so in that sense, it was it might be have been a little bit easier since we did it when we did it than um, say today. Um, but you, you kind of mentioned the political statement. And one of the things we said in, um, in our statement after the murder of George Floyd was that, you know, we, sometimes we need to make a statement, um, uh, but not, it's not, a, not a political stance, but a human humanitarian stance. Um, these are the truths that we see in the world. Um, and just because something's true, Truth has power and power is politics. So anytime you're speaking the truth, there is an element of politics in that. Um, so, you know, trying not to be if my personal opinion is if there's somebody making a partisan issue out of something that's true. Well, we need to speak up against that. OK, thank you. So, Mike, you are the chair of the committee. What was the mission and vision for the DEI committee? 
Uh, so the mission and vision for the DEI committee, um, especially when we first started, was uh, to try to build um, a new, I guess, support system of um, inclusion and diversity uh, within the chapter and for membership. And uh, the way we were looking to do that is we actually started out with four subcommittees, uh, one being uh, social media and communications, one being um, mentorship, another being uh, a group that we moved on called uh, HEAL, which is really trying to focus on social determinants of health. Um, and uh, the, the other uh, focusing more on uh, more on um, community, essentially community activities that we were trying, community outreach and things like that. And essentially, you know, over time, we we felt that um, by having this committee, um, we had an opportunity to, you know, really have people excited about the chapter and, and different things that we were doing and, and really try to uh, reach a, a new relationship with our community. Okay, so the social media um, committee posted a video stating some of the things that you guys did in the past year, which was uh, overdose awareness. There's a huge number of teenagers and young adults that are, were involved in the opioid epidemic and lost their lives. So you brought awareness to that. Also, you have been engaging in mentoring high school students uh, virtually and in-person visits, doing surveys um, for Black physical therapists and letting others know the role Black physical therapists have to play in the profession and improving diversity numbers. So those are some of the things that you guys shared. Um, you said there are four subcommittees and one of them is mentorship. And Clarice, you are the mentorship leader. So can you expand on, on that and why you guys felt that it was important to have a subcommittee with mentorship? Yes. Um, yes, yeah, so um, my name is Clarice Labor and I am the, um, the mentorship chair with the DEI committee. And yeah, we, as one of the subcommittees that we had decided to do under the whole umbrella of the DEI committee um, mentorship, and so I think all of us, um, you know, the you know black and brown therapists, know that a lot of times um, we may be the only person in the clinic, you know, that looks like you, or you might, um, you know, in your class, you know, in your physical therapy class, it might be one or two that might be in your class. And so we know that um, that we are definitely underrepresented, and um, as far as the physical therapy as a whole we don't represent the population that we serve, okay? So we, and a lot of times as far as uh, when you go into physical therapy, unless you know what the field is or ever had somebody who's had physical therapy or you yourself have had physical therapy, you probably don't even know what it is or that it even exists. So a lot of times people are interested in the field or even know about the field because they've had it or they know somebody who's had it. So one of the things with the mentorship was to really is to introduce the field um, to different communities that are underrepresented um, in our field and within the community. So 
um, we wanted to target actually three different subhosts. So we wanted to do mentorship for young young kids. So we started off with high school virtual tours, like Monique had mentioned. Um, high school, and we've done a few in person. So of, of course, we started this during COVID. So everything was virtually initially. Um, and so basically what we've been doing is going to different high schools and doing virtual introduction to physical therapy. So explaining what is physical therapy? What, um, what does a therapist do? What are all the different settings that you can do in physical therapy? And then also we talk about the steps of how do you get, how do you even apply to physical therapy? What does it entail? A lot of people didn't realize that it's, it's actually a doctoral program. Um, and so we're able to kind of introduce what it is what the process is, and then just talk about, you know, how great our, our profession is and how we really can change people's lives, how we are really helping people. And um, so by doing that, we've been able to, you know, tackle a lot of different counties within the state of Maryland. Last year, I know we did, um, we were able to go into four different schools in three different counties in the state of Maryland. This year, same thing. We've done three different um, schools in a couple different counties, and then we're going to hit into um, Western Maryland. So we've done Anne Arundel County, Montgomery County, Prince George's County. We're going to also do a school in, um, in Western Maryland um, over this summer. So we really wanted to make sure that we are introducing these fields to these young kids and just letting them know the opportunities are there. And not only that, but there are people who look like you who are doing this. You know, if you see that representation, if you see some see somebody that looks like you, you yourself are gonna be like, you know, hey, maybe this is something that I can do. So that's why representation matters so much. Um, so we did high school and then we also wanted to make sure that we tackled the, the students who are in college who want to go into PT school. You know, what does that look like? What does that application process look like? What do they need to do to apply into um, the programs? So we started off doing mentorship nights, not only for students who want to apply into PT programs, but also current, um, maybe newer professionals in the field. I think, again, sometimes because a lot of times the network of PT, sometimes, like I said, you may not have a lot of therapists where you work that look like you or maybe that you might not be able to relate to. Um, and so we wanted to be able to create this network or these different nights um, where we'd have a, a variety of topics. So we've had topics from, uh, you know, how to handle difficult conversations, how to network, how to, um, and not only for physical therapists, but also physical therapist assistants. You know, what is um, the application process look like for students wanting to get into PT school? Um, just a lot of different varied conversations to be able to attract again and to help mentor students who wanna go into PT school and then also to give support um, for newer professionals within the field. So we really wanted to be able to target those three levels, you know, and be able to attack the mentorship from all three levels. Okay, wonderful. And um, that is like a great pipeline to increase numbers into the profession, but there are often challenges that these students, if they do get into the profession that they will face in terms of cost of education and feeling like they belong or are included at the universities that they choose to attend. So um, will the mentor, mentor nights focus on stuff to help not only um, black and brown students to feel included, but be extended to uh, college programs and academia for them to implement um, methods and techniques to make students of color feel included in their programs. 
Yeah. So we definitely, you know, leave the pro it's the, the mentorship nights are definitely open to like anyone who wants to attend. Um, and so we have had definitely financial literacy is one that we, you know, we've, we've talked about that we need to do um, because yeah, one, I mean, it's, it's, it's the truth that a lot of times the financial part of physical therapy school can be a setback or something that can draw people back from the profession because it, it can be expensive. Um, and so we definitely try to give out the different options from the physical therapist assistant to also PT schools. Um, we've done different things on um, even just applying, not applying, but a hiring. So interviewing for PT, you know, for a job, like, what does that look like? What do you need to do for interviewing? But yes, we do, we do um, financial, like a financial, that it's definitely the finances is definitely a, you know, a major setback with that. And so, um, you know, we definitely have tried to do that. And definitely those are topics that, you know, we can definitely continue to work on. Okay, thank you. Um, LaDonna, you uh, did a huge project doing a national survey for Black physical therapists, um, especially those attending HBCUs. And um, you just recently had an article published um, by the national organization. Can you expand on that for us tonight? Sure. So um, I was just had the honor of being the Centennial Scholar for Maryland last year. And so as a Centennial Scholar, one of our um, goals was to come up with a capstone project that built upon what your sponsoring organization's goals were. And um, I wanted to build upon what um, the DEI chapter was working on with the mentorship that Clarice I talked about, and so um, my project had two components. The first component was to reach out to the historically black colleges and universities in Maryland to talk to the students um, there to see if we could try to build a relationship with APT of Maryland and the schools to encourage students to apply to physical therapy school and also to see if we could investigate why the students were or were not applying, were they not, why they were or were not strong applicants to physical therapy programs. So. Um, with that part of the project, um, there are four HBCUs, HBCUs in Maryland, um, Bowie State University in Bowie, Maryland, um, University of Maryland Eastern Shore and Princess Anne on the Eastern Shore, Coppin State and Morgan State, which are both in Baltimore. Um, so we weren't actually able to get a contact with Coppin and Morgan, um, but we're gonna continue that in the fall to see if we can reach out to them. But we were, were able to reach out to UMES and also to um, Bowie State University, um, and we did one in person with Bowie State. Mike joined me and then we had also did one with Bowie, which is virtual. And just to talk to the undergraduate students about applying to physical therapy school. So one of the things that we found is that even in some of the historically black colleges is that the students didn't quite know all the requirements to apply. They were very interested in going to PT school and even some of the professors, the health career advisor did not know what the requirements were for physical therapy school. And that to me was a huge, barrier to students even getting into school. Um, so I'm a big supporter of HBCUs and um, I know that many students, not all, but a, quite a few students who go there, this, they may be the first in their family to go to college. They have taken out undergraduate loans to go to school. Um, there is that pressure to succeed, that, that pressure that if you're smart and you like science, you should go and be a doctor. Um, but these are some factors that we don't think may not be important, but there is these external pressures that students um, from minority communities face um, when they're thinking about going into a career, like we said, that no one in your family may know or even 
understand what it's about. Um, so how do you explain that, that um, pursuing a career in physical therapy is just as great as pursuing a career in medicine? Um, it's still in the field of science. It's helping people. Um, but they're equal. It's just not less, but they're just two different fields. So how do you explain that to your family members? So we realize there are a lot of different kind of factors that people face that are not necessarily related to the books or to the grades when they're thinking about applying to physical therapy school. Um, and something that we really encouraged the students to do was to, that they had to have a plan. Like Clarice said, I think that it's very important that we start talking about physical therapy careers earlier. Like we can't wait until you get to your junior year of college. Cause if you're gonna apply the next year and you've taken all the wrong classes, you're not gonna be able to apply right away. And so really this information is to get out to students who are in like middle school and high school. So I applaud the DI chapter for trying to educate um, and just expose um, individuals to the career field because this is my personal experience. That's how I became a PT because someone came for career day in sixth grade. That's the only time I heard about physical therapy. Um, and it was an African-American physical therapist. And I thought, if she can do it, so can I. And so that's why I really think the career days, reaching back out, mentorship, going to schools is very important. Um, and with the students at the HBC, it, we found out with um, some of the students in Boone UMass, they had great questions um, about how to apply to school, but many of them did not know it was a doctoral level program. Um, they did not know the cost that was involved in going to physical therapy school. And that it's a full-time program. You really cannot, it's kind of difficult for some times to work physical therapy school um, that you know there are very few programs in the country so that means you may have to move away from your family and it can be sometimes hard to uproot your entire family to pursue that graduate um, degree so those are just some challenges that we found um, from the students but the other thing we encourage the students to do is that even if they're about to graduate and they still want to be a physical therapist that they can still do it and not to give up if they've come this far and they don't have all the classes that, you know, like the average age for going to PT school is like in your mid 20s now, I think it's like 26, 28. And that for many people, it's a second career choice. And so just because they don't have all the answers when they're graduating, doesn't mean they can't give up. They can go back and take those courses if they have to. Um, they have to go back and get the volunteer hours. What we found is that many students really just needed a plan and they needed some guidance in how to get the plan. And I think that's where as physical therapists, we can help students and mentor students to make sure they're taking the right courses, um, making ourselves available to volunteer, opening our clinics up if we're allowed to, to have volunteers come in, or just trying to encourage the students. So that was the first part of my project. Um, the second part was that we did a survey of minority physical therapists um, across the country. And I want to thank everybody on the panel who helped get the word about the survey out. Um, we had about 100, a little bit over 100 therapists that responded to my questions. And so the questions that I was asking was by asking minority physical therapists, would you encourage another minority undergraduate to pursue a career in physical therapy? And so um, I was really um, kind of surprised by um, some of the responses. Um, about 55% of the people said yes, but there was about 39% of the people who said no. They didn't say no, they said with some reservations. And then there were a lot of people who said no. One of the biggest reasons why people said they would not encourage someone to go into it was because of the um, return of investment, the cost that it goes to physical therapy school compared to the salary that now new graduates are making um, compared to other fields, such as physician's assistants, um, going into medical school, they just didn't see the return of investment. The other issue that came up was that some therapists felt like the demands of being a physical therapist, the paperwork, 
the um, patient-client interaction that many of us go into, that is getting compromised and they would not encourage someone to go into it. But the majority of therapists said they would encourage someone else to go into physical therapy. And they think there is a need for minority physical um, therapists. Um, I also thought that the majority of minority physical therapists would have come from the eight historically black colleges and universities that have physical therapy programs. And I actually found that not to be true of the people that responded to my um, questionnaire. The, the school with the most respondents for HBCUs was Howard. They have one of the largest um, PT programs, um, but it was like a very, a pretty wide smattering of about 40 different schools that people applied to. Um, and they, most people, they were like the only person that responded that they were representing um, their school. Um, some of the other things that I found out was when did students, when did therapists become aware of a career in physical therapy? And the majority of them said in high school, and it was because either they knew a PT or they had PT, were the two reasons why they became a PT. Um, and the next reason why most people found out about becoming a physical therapist was when they were an undergraduate in college. And so I think if we want to diversify our profession, we can't just say it's going to start when we get to the DPT programs. We have to start at least 10 years earlier to prepare students to get that strong pipeline to go into those programs. So students are strong applicants. They're aware of what they're getting into. They've had some financial planning so that then they go into their going into school they know what they're getting into, and then that way we can have more successful physical therapists. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, well, I'm not surprised with the responses that you got in terms of should we encourage uh, students to get into the PT profession. I know I've gotten some backlash for recommending that someone should start off as a PTA first to get better return on investment, especially if you come from a very low income family and financial demands are pretty high at the time. So also something that I noticed while I was in school is that not because a college is a HBCU that the PT program will be primarily black or brown students. Um, I realized the further you get into like graduate level, doctoral level classes at HBCUs, the student population tends to be pretty reflective of societal makeup um, with more Caucasians and international students than you do have African-Americans in these programs. So that's definitely something um, that needs to be worked on, but PT programs are competitive by nature to get into. So, and it has been shown that black and brown students are not best at taking standardized tests. So is there any like collaboration in the works with um, anyone that can assist with getting a higher number on SATs or GREs or even the NPTE exams? Anyone on the committee wants to tackle that? I can say there are some schools that are starting to get rid of the GRE. Um, I know Pitt is one of them. Um, there was a bill 
that was introduced in Maryland to try and reduce standardized testings kind of across the board. Um, that got some some pushback. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious to to see. And I think the the reason schools use the GRE is because it's reflective of whether you can pass the the boards. It's like, oh wow, a, a standardized test predicts if you can pass a standardized test. Um, it's not not revel uh, groundbreaking information there, but that's what schools also like they're judged on how many people pass, pass the board. So, um, I know that's in the works in some schools, but it, it I think the vast majority probably still require the, the GRE. Okay. So since they still require it and it's an indication to them use as an indicator for if someone will be successful, at the board exam level, are we gonna work towards collaborating with anyone to assist students that we are encouraging to get into the profession and to go to PT school that when they complete it, that there will be support to assist them in being successful um, at the national board exam level? So I know for me, um... One thing that I've tried to do um, is working with the chapter collaboratively with my Live and Grow mentorship organization. And that organization does give support to pre-PT students um, applying to school to try to build um, you know, a strong application each application cycle. Um, so I've done you know, different presentations at a couple different universities. And um, additionally, um, I've also been, uh, prior to the, organization being fully formed, I've been supporting individuals applying, I mean, uh, uh, I've been supporting individuals taking the MPT, taking boards. So I've been helping prepare them for the test, um, assisting with, um, you know, uh, the cost of the PEAT, you know, the practice exams and different things uh, so that people do have that support. Um, because I think oftentimes, you know, the rigors of PT school can can burn individuals out and it can be really challenging to pass boards once you get to that stage. Um, so you, you do have to have these other support systems in place in order to really, you know, have, you know, successful candidates once they graduate. Okay. And your program is the Live and Grow Mentorship, right? Yes. Okay. And how can they get in contact with you about that, Mike? Uh, so uh, we have the website, uh, which is uh, lgmentorship.org. Uh, uh, we also have um, social media, um, which is lgmentorship on uh, Instagram. And we also have an email, uh, lgmentorship7 at gmail.com. Okay. All right. Yeah, so and I was going to say, oh, I was oh, just going to okay. say, just to kind of piggyback on Mike, I think, um, you know, bringing up an important point, as far as, you know, somebody being able to, you know, being able to take the GREs or the actual board exam, a lot of times you have to be able to take like, um, you know, the review courses, the review courses, the practice tests and all these different things. So if you can't afford to take these classes, these prep classes and all these different things to, to you know, we talked about how expensive PT school was in general, then again, that already puts you kind of at a setback, right? And so, um, and so that's the thing, I think, as more and more schools and I think across the board, like um, J.D. was saying, you know, are starting to look at maybe kind of, you know, doing away with GREs or just um, making their application. I just think schools really need to look at more of a global 
applicant pool and not just because as we know, just because you might, um, you know, do a score really high in the GRE doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be, you know, that best physical, the best physical therapist there is. But I understand like what schools are saying as far as, oh, well, it might indicate that they can actually pass the board exam from exam to exam. But again, it, okay, so let's give support for students to, um, to be able to give them support, to be able to do these practice exams, to be able to take these courses so that you can make it more of a, uh, an even playing field in that regards. And I will say that when I graduated from PT school, I was right before the um, Academy of Physical Therapy, which is a minority physical therapy organization. They actually did a prep course um, for the students at HBCUs. And um, I was fortunate enough to attend. Um, I think my teacher had a grant for me and one other student to attend that course, but it did help me with studying for the boards. And so I think as physical therapists, if more people could come together to, you know, even working with smaller groups of physical therapists to help them maybe practice for their boards or coming up and being willing to just, like Mike's doing, just to mentor students when they get to that point of the boards, because he wouldn't want individuals to go all the way to PT school and then they can't pass their boards. And so um, I think that there are so many different areas where as physical therapists, we can mentor students. I think each person just has to find their niche, the area that they like the best and where they can be the most effective. You can't do everything, but if everyone does their little part, um, we can make a difference to try to help um, diversify our profession. I do think um, I, I'd like to jump in a little bit. Um, as <laughs> Now, as therapists working at a variety of different settings, I think that we can be change agents and really talk to who the clinical instructor is and see what contracts we have with schools. I mean, that was an issue that I had um, with one of the, um, the employers that I was working for. I had to say, well, Howard is right here. Why don't we have a contract with Howard? And why don't we have a contract with UMES? And I think that we have to really challenge our employers to ask those kind of questions. Why are they pipelining certain schools like UM, UMD and certain schools like that? And, and I'm talking specific to this area because we do have a lot of schools and there are a lot of opportunities to, to definitely reach farther out into the community and give those students the experience so that, they, and I'm in pediatrics and, and there are not a lot of us out there. So, but just making sure that we are reaching out to, to all schools and giving them the same opportunities. I think that we really um, lose out on diversity by, by forgetting about that. Good point, uh, Kenda. So I know uh, Washington DC and Maryland has made it mandatory for all clinicians in physical therapy renewing their license to have a diversity, equity, and inclusion course. Um, was this really necessary, uh, JD? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah, and that, and we lobbied for that that bill to be passed uh, to require implicit bias training of all um, all practitioners who have a, a medical some type of uh, health occupation license um, because I mean we're all we all have our our biases and a lot of us are blind to them and I, I think if anybody paid attention to the debate around, um, 
the anti-racism motion that was put forward to the House of Delegates last year, um, that in itself, that debate that, that occurred, uh, a lot of it on the hub showed that, yes, <laughs> there's a need for, for therapists to recognize their, their, their implicit biases around race. Okay. So even though Maryland is a small state, we, we have different uh, districts and um, someone who lives in Western Maryland, uh, there are very few people who look like me or like Alex in that area. So I, most clinicians might not feel that they need to be mandated to learn something if they're not going to be working with um, patients of color or they shouldn't be forced to work with someone that goes against their religious beliefs because of their sexual orientation or religious practices. So um, do you think it should have been an elective stuff or still being mandatory? Oh no, hundred percent mandatory. Um, the people, the people that, and because the people that want to take the course, yeah, they're going to get something out of it, but do they, they need it? Um, I think it's the, the people that are and and you know what, maybe those people that, that are mandated to take the course, um, and they're dead set against any, um, DI initiatives, maybe they'll just, you know, put it on mute and try and pass a test and not really think about it later. But you know what, maybe there's one or two people out there that, that will, will, will change their, their minds. And I can say, I, I grew up in rural Ohio. Um, there were, were not a lot of, um, black or brown people in my, uh, in my neighborhood. And, and you know what, I think I would have benefited from a, a course like that, um, earlier on in my, my career. Okay. All right. Um, so there are different settings in physical therapy and I'm hoping that with the mentorship, people are encouraged to know that it's not only sports, physical therapy or outpatient therapy, but pediatric therapy, as uh, Kenda suggested, um, acute care settings, home health settings. Have you guys reached out to businesses in the communities to participate in career day or these um, mentorship nights or activities so people can have practical experiences in those settings? Yeah, I know we definitely have um, within when we do the high school mentorship, uh, like introduction to physical therapy, we usually try to have um, therapists from different settings um, so that the students can kind of get a different perspective. And we have the therapist talk about kind of that special story or what, you know, what's kind of really touched them or why kind of their why of what they're doing. But to, just to be able to let the students know that, just like Mo said, there's a lot of different areas that you, if you want to work with children, you can work with children. If you want to work with somebody, you know, that's like your grandma, you can do that. You can go into people's homes. And, you know, I think one of the benefits of our field is the flexibility. It's the variety and the flexibility. You can work part-time, you can work as needed, you can work full-time, you can be in academia, you know, if you want to, you know, teach at a school. So there's a lot of different things that you can do. And we definitely try to include that within our introduction to physical therapy, but not only that, and we've had business owners 
that have actually been on um, the show or on the introduction to physical therapy, talking to these high school students to let them know, hey, not only can you be a physical therapist in these clinics, but you can own your own clinic. And you can not only one, but you can own several clinics, like some of the business owners that we've had on there. So again, representation, showing them that they can do it too. Um, and even on our mentorship nights that we have for early professionals and then for students who want to go into physical therapy, we've had several um, topics where we've done leadership, you know, how to climb that ladder. What are some different leadership opportunities within different settings in physical therapy? We've done a night on um, business, how to start your own business. What does that look like? And we've had different people that have been on there for that. So we definitely try to encourage business owners or just different people from different settings and also encouraging. Um, and also we have a lot of stuff on our website too, uh, for students who want, who are looking for um, volunteer hours. Like we said, you know, to join, to get into PT school, you have to, you have to do several volunteer hours so we can connect students. If they want a mentor, you know, person that they can kind of connect with, we can help them try to get, you know, look into different clinics and different areas that have, um, that are accepting volunteers. Cause obviously, as we know with COVID, not all clinics are open, not all hospitals are open, but we also have that connection so students can go on there to see, okay, this is a way that I can volunteer. And even in our intro to high school students, we definitely encourage that, you know, encourage the students like go and volunteer, shadow somebody, see if this is maybe something that you want to do, you know. So by shadowing and being able to volunteer in a clinic, this is how you're going to know this might be something that's for me. So we definitely encourage that and also have not only encourage it, but also give them the resources to be able to do it where they might have not had that before. Okay, so has the DI committee um, come up with a template that if a section reaches out to you or another chapter reaches out to you that they can implement in their section or their chapter to increase um, membership numbers or diversity, equity, inclusion, awareness? Um, uh, have you guys developed something that can be reproduced elsewhere? So we definitely have. Uh, we, um, we've we worked with um, our executive director, uh, Lori, um, to develop uh, guidelines um, for when we first started the committee. And we've actually had other um, you know, state chapters reach out um, over the last year in terms of them starting their own committees and, and what to look for and how we engage with our community and uh, different initiatives that we are, are looking to prioritize as a as a chapter, and you know some things that they could potentially do as well. Um, you know something else that we you know was important to us was having our own uh, email that was separate from the chapter. So we have a DEI email that they can contact us directly, uh, DEI at um, aptamaryland.org, where. Uh, we get those notifications and are able to respond uh, to people that are interested in new membership or people that are interested in trying to uh, build um, upon some of the initiatives that we have. So, Okay. And has the chapter seen an increase in membership? Because personally, I do find that there is value in this committee. And one of the biggest reasons many people say they don't have APTA membership is because they don't see the value in it. So has there been any reflection in increasing numbers or participation of current members? Anything measurable? So I know that when, you know, this was when we set this 
committee up was in the, in the middle of a pandemic and uh, membership numbers were were on the the decline across um, across the nation. Um, from what it looks like, it looks like we might have slowed a little bit of, of that. Um, it's also it is our most engaged committee of the of the chapter so our engagement with members is definitely increased because of the the DEI committee um anecdotally i i know of a a couple of people who joined um the the chapter um because the DEI uh, committee was was started okay that's that's great news um so it shows that it, it it's working and not only is it benefiting the chapter, but it's benefiting members as well. Um, LaDonna, this uh, question is for you. Now that you've had this data that we could analyze, um, how do you see it moving forward that the national chapter um, can use this to help to improve the numbers of black and brown clinicians, because even before I became a physical therapist, that number has stayed stagnant in terms of the percentage of black and brown therapists in the organization. And for me, it was a rude awakening. Being in the DMV area really made me think that there were a lot of black and brown therapists. But when you attend national conferences, it's like we're just like a little spot in the ocean. So how are they gonna use the data that you collected to help to move those numbers? So I think they could um, they could use the data to start looking at um, when are like I said when are minority students finding out about physical therapy and then comparing that to when other racial groups are finding out about careers in physical therapy looking to see, is there a disparity? Is everyone finding about it in high school or are there other um, racials who knew about it like in elementary school? Um, we could also use that to look at um, the different schools that are producing physical therapists. Why are, certain, why are certain schools producing more minority physical therapists as opposed to other, thing, other schools? What attracts students to go to that school versus going to another school? Um, I think we can also use it to look at um, recruitment efforts and maybe addressing some of the issues that um, the therapists have said are barriers to students going to school, such as um, the financial literacy piece of it. Um, is there ways, um, maybe we need to change the way the curriculum is set up for physical therapy school. Maybe we need to make physical therapy programs more accessible. I mean, even though we said Maryland is a small state, we only have two PT programs in the entire state. And so, you know, there are some states that I think don't have any programs. So maybe we need to put programs where there are, um, that diversity exists. Um, you know, I think one of the things that we really could look at is our programs with um, the HBCUs and seeing why is there, um, how can we increase the number of undergraduates from the HBCUs that are going on to these graduate programs? Um, and I think, you know, just having the program at HBCU is great, but if you don't have a co correlation with the undergraduate students to get them into that graduate program, and you're pulling students from everywhere else in the state, 
it doesn't really make a difference if this program is at that school. If you're going to um, increase rates of diversity, we have to go to areas where diversity is and see if we can improve the exposure to the career in that area, be willing to work with um, different races. And I think also maybe just change our approach a little bit um, because a majority of physical therapists in the survey said they found out about it by doing research on their own. So is there ways that we can make the career more accessible like commercials or um, you know, being in more um, social media or things that relate to different races because everyone is not gonna go to the APTA page to look up information but are there other avenues that we can go to? Because I see a lot of students who wanna be athletic trainers and they think it's the same thing as a physical therapist. So maybe we need to reach out to like athletic trainers. And I think another therapist has talked about that. Maybe we need to reach out to the students that are interested, say they have interest in like nursing or nutrition careers. Um, I think we may have to just change our mindset about how we recruit um, individuals to go into our profession. Okay, uh, visibility is important. And Clarice mentioned representation as well too. Uh, even in elementary school or kindergarten, you know, most kids would usually say, I want to be a teacher. I want to be a policeman or fireman because they see those images pretty much all the time in their neighborhoods and on television or with the people that they interact with. So we definitely do need more visibility. Um, I don't quite know yet how we do that, but uh, we just need to come up with, um, as you said, social media stuff, do some TikTok, you know, get on there, make some funny videos, encourage, encourage people to become therapists. Mike, I see you taking your hand, so go ahead. <laughs> now, I mean, this not sound a bit outrageous, but I think one way that could be, um, this is like just forward thinking, I mean, would be create like a, a book. I know in other professions, they create like, oh, this is what it looked like to be a nurse in the hospital, but it's like for elementary kids. Like, what if we made a a book for physical therapy and what it looks like to be a physical therapist and we could give it to and distribute it to elementary schools. Just an idea, but that's just something I think that could, you know, be groundbreaking if it were to happen. Okay. Uh, there you have it. So if there is a creative person listening uh, tonight, make a crack at it. <laughs> Definitely. Um, what advice, I know a lot of people complain that they find that there are too many uh, DPT programs already, but honestly, I don't think that there is enough because a lot of students are still rejected after they've spent money doing countless applications to various schools. So what advice would you guys give to any university or uh, group considering starting a, a DPT program to make it more diverse and inclusive? I guess my, my biggest thing would probably just to, um, to create um, a standard that is fair in the application process, uh, to acknowledge uh, not only what the needs are of the state, but what the needs are um, in different settings. Um, different practices. I think that sometimes people think that there is overwhelmingly too many uh, new graduates from PT programs, but it's, you know, there are certain, you know, specialty areas that still need a, a significant number of PTs, uh, pediatrics, uh, you know, pelvic health, um, you know, a lot of other settings where if they had more PTs, um, you know, our healthcare system as a, as a whole would, would, would be greatly uh, 
you know, impacted. I know even thinking about, um, you know, therapists that are lymphedema certified, you know, to help with uh, people that have, um, you know, gone through a, uh, a cancer treatment, for example, um, to find those specialists within the state is a, is a big challenge um, to find that the, 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 those people that can do that specific treatment. So trying to balance all of those things and really still give a good opportunity for students uh, would be would be the first start for those programs and institutions. Okay, LaDonna? I also think, and this comes along with diversity of our professions, diversity of the faculty of the school that you are planning to start um, because you need diverse people with diverse ideas to stress that importance of diversity within your student body. Um, and so when you go to school and there's, um, you're the only one of color, only brown or black person in your school. And then there's no one in the leadership of your school or no professors that you could go to if you're having concerns or questions that look like you and may understand your perspective, you can feel very isolated. And so I think that's another area that we need to address is the number of clinicians that are going into academia and willing to teach that are diverse also. So that will help to make our programs um, more diverse. It's interesting that you should say that because um, I feel that there's also a barrier for black and brown therapists to get into academia, the requirements. Yeah. So um, I know part of it is uh, having a DPT or a clinical specialization or um, a PhD. Mm -hmm. And most black and brown therapists after they've graduated are pretty much general practitioners. Um, and there are not many programs, if you've already been working full-time, that would allow you to do that transition to get your DPT. So, JD, I know you are going to start a position in academia. Congratulations on your um, job at Duke University. Um, I will be reaching out to you, hoping I can get some uh, Blue Devils basketball tickets. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, do you, uh, feel that that can be adjusted so that someone with practical experience that can basically have a great relationship with students of color, um, and be a representation for them? Can some of those things be adjusted, um, requirements be adjusted for, persons who are interested in to get in, into academia, but there are barriers like that. Yeah, I think the, so, so the uh, requirements of the PhD that goes back to, to CAPTI, um, which I personally don't see a reason why all these schools need to have, I think it's 50% um, faculty with PhDs when, uh, you know, you go to med school, they, there's no requirement there. They just need to be medical doctors. Um, well, we have it. We're a doctoring profession. So why are, why are we held to a different, different standard? Um, so I think if CAPTI making a, a, a change there would, would help. Um, you know, I think more programs like um, the faculty development residency that it is at Duke that, that I'm going into um, 
I think there need to be more programs like that, because like you said, there aren't a lot of ways to transition into academia after uh, being a, a clinician. And, you know, I um, was a uh, first generation college student and, you know, I, there's no way I was going after through school, um, you know, taking all that debt, going on and getting a PhD. Um, you know, I, the, I have the opportunity to do this now because I, it's 10 years later and I've paid off my student debts. Um, so we need more of these programs out there. Um, like you said, just to diversify the, the academia, the workforce in academia. Um, I think there's, there's one other program that's, um, in somewhere in Florida, but it's online. And just when I was doing research, it seemed more geared toward people who are already in academia just to, to help that process, which I'm sure is also needed, but, but the program at Duke is the, the only program that can help you transition from the clinic to, to academia, um, and that mentorship along with it. Okay. Um, hopefully there are other, uh, programs that if someone is in that program listening tonight, that would reconsider uh, those requirements. But as you said, CAPTI is basically responsible for it. Uh, Clarice, do you have something to add? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think for schools that, you know, want to, um, you know, what are ways for them to diversify is I, the one word I think is, is intentional. Be intentional. Be intentional about reaching back be intentional about trying to increase the pipeline, you know, going, partnering with, um, whether it's your local APTA, um, state APTA, you know, if they have different programs, um, you know, being intentional about partnering with different hospitals or other entities, uh, being intentional about reaching out to HBCUs or different um, diverse groups or, or programs, um, you know, being able to intentional about diversifying your staff. So I think a lot of it, the talent can is out there. Um, it's just being able to support the students um, to make it equitable for everybody to be represented. So that's my my thing is just be intentional about it. Uh, great advice. Um, so we've talked about encouraging people to get into the profession. And I've been a physical therapist since 2008. And I dipped my toes into leadership representation <laughs> and I'm realizing the further up you go, the tougher it is for black and brown clinicians to be part of leadership. And you may be invited to the table, but there are times you don't feel like you belong there or you are engaged to participate. So that therein presents another challenge and it can be frustrating to black and brown clinicians to get into leadership because there are barriers and also they don't feel like they belong. So I know our board is pretty diverse. So, and there's a reason why I have remained on it since I started because we engage with one another, we respect one another, and there is value in it. But I've seen and I've heard people from other sections or other chapters 
who went and did their term and then they were out. So uh, what advice as president, uh, JD, and you guys as DI committee members that you could give to sections and even the professional organization to not only just invite black and brown clinicians or Asian clinicians to be part of leadership, but to engage them and make them feel like they do belong and have a voice at the table. Um, I think Clarice just said it, uh, be intentional. Um, you know, be intentional with um, not, you know, it's, it's one thing to um, be diverse, but then there's, there's also the inclusive part. Um, hopefully we make people feel inclusive in, in Maryland. And I think um, the other thing is that's being talked more about is belonging, uh, having, making sure people sent, feel a sense of belonging uh, in the roles that they have um, and being intentional about doing that with um, people that don't look like you um, or don't look like the majority of this profession. Anyone else? Mike, you're in leadership? Uh, yeah, um, I think uh, I will, I guess, quote the, the recap video. So it, the, the caption of the video was, um, uh, when, one door, when one door opens, you feel right at home. So I think that, you know, one way that we can, you know, engage these different uh, groups is just to, to open the door for them in the profession and give them something tangible that they can take and feel uh, a sense of belonging, like JD was saying. Um, you know, I know, I, I remember specifically one mentor night that we had um, where we were talking about the PT and PTA collaborative relationship, um, working relationship um, in the clinic. And I had a, a previous classmate of mine who at the time was not a member, but she was being tasked with uh, being a, um, a PT that was going to onboard a PTA for the first time in her clinic. And her attending that mentor night gave her the courage and the confidence to do that. And um, she said that that was the first time that she felt like she saw the value. She felt like there was a sense of belonging to the chapter um, and that she would be encouraged to potentially, you know, commit to being a part of the chapter in the future. Um, so, you know, the more opportunities we are able to give that experience and that belonging, um, the better off we'll be um, as a chapter and, and for other chapters as well. And I will say, um, you know, I was, I was in the chapter a while ago and then I kind of joined back um, right right after the George Floyd, you know, the murder of George Floyd and the whole COVID bit and just seeing how it had, you know, really impacted our communities, you know, and the whole, um, uh, you know, the social determinants of health and everything that went along with that. And so that's one of the reasons why I myself wanted to get back involved. You know, it's like, just want to be part of the solution. And I will say that Monique definitely, Mo did encourage me to not only join, but to be part of um, the DEI committee that was forming. And so, um, and again, not only joining, but being part of one, the leadership part of it. And so, um, but I will say that, you know, there, there's, we are lucky, I think, to be in the Maryland APTA because there is so much support. Lori, who's our, um, the executive director from the president JD and just uh, the, the staff itself and the leadership board, um, they, again, they, they make it a priority. 
and um, and they are very inclusive. And so that definitely helps. And so just encouraging other chapters and stuff, um, you know, but it, it really, really helps that that it is a priority within um, within our chapter. And it's it's a priority for the leadership and for the chapter as a whole. Um, is there anyone that wants to speak on the heel? Because healthcare disparity is a big deal, um, especially in the state. As I mentioned before, we we have districts and access in the very rural parts of Maryland is it's it's very limited. So um, is there anyone that wants to touch on what heal is about? What does what does it mean? And what programs you guys have implemented, what are the plans for the future, et cetera. I can, I can speak to it a bit. Uh, so HEAL, uh, you know, talking about, um, you know, health access, uh, health equity access and literacy. And uh, a couple of things that we've done, I know more recently we've collaborated with uh, 211 in Maryland. Uh, which is an organization that helps with uh, finding resources uh, for, you know, the individuals that you work with in the community, whether that is uh, finding, uh, you know, housing, transportation, um, you know, access to food. Um, uh, they, they have different uh, mental health resources as well that are available. And a lot of clinicians in the state um, before our spring meeting were unaware of these different resources that two on one Maryland offers. So we, have collabor collaborated with them to try to um, improve um, the different resources that we give our you know patients access to, and additionally, uh, we've had collaborations with uh, the Baltimore City Health Department and the Baltimore County um, Health Department in terms of um, trying to uh, assist with the opioid awareness, like we talked about earlier. Um, trying to make sure that we are. Um, consistently um, each year uh, supporting their efforts and making sure that, um, you know, there's awareness of what physical therapists do, how we would play a role in reducing, um, you know, opioid overdoses in the state as well. Okay. And are you guys welcoming members um, to join or be part of the DEI committee? Absolutely. And and Absolutely. how can they get involved? So they can get involved uh, a number of ways. Um, you know, the first way is just to, um, you know, just to engage, to understand what we're doing. So we have a monthly DEI meeting uh, where we go through the different efforts that we have um, on the committee. So just uh, being aware of that, um, you know, they, they can engage uh, with our, our high school tours. Uh, we've been, you know, always looking for volunteers to, um, you know, share their experience as clinicians, share their journey to becoming physical therapists, um, and just, you know, encourage students to, to be a part of the profession. Um, and I think the more volunteers we get for that, the more opportunities we'll have to go to different schools and increase the, you know, expansion of that program in general. Um, you know, and, and something else that we, we really encourage is just individuals that want to uh, help with the mentorship nights. Uh, we, we have really done a good job of trying to make sure that um, in terms of inclusion with the mentor nights, we've had mentor nights that have touched 
that have impacted pre-PT students, SPTs, uh, you know, new grads and early professionals, uh, you know, executives and, 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 and upper management. So we are really looking to always have people in all these different spaces within our profession feel that they can contribute to what we do uh, with the mentor night. There's always a mentor. Um, there's always someone that needs mentorship at every level of your career. So we, we really find value in trying to make sure that everyone um, is getting a, a, a tangible outcome that they appreciate from that. Okay, I know Erica isn't here. She's the secretary of the committee, but I believe she had mentioned that uh, they were looking for volunteers to cover the Special Olympics, which is going to be held in Maryland soon. Yes. Uh, so can someone um, do like an invitation to uh, the audience who may be listening now or be listening in the not too distant future about that? Sure. So um, in terms, if you if you were interested in, um, you know, volunteering with the Special Olympics, um, our secretary, um, Erica, is is uh, helping run that. And if you were interested, you could uh, D DM our social media accounts either on Instagram, APTA, APTA Maryland, um, MD, um, or you can email us at DEI at APTA Maryland. Um, org um, and you know essentially once you you make contact with us Erica will give you uh, further details on the timeline and commitment for that okay wonderful uh, Eddie parting words anyone um, to encourage other uh, chapters sections or the mothership as some people call them uh, <laughs> APTA uh, to become more inclusive and allow black and brown therapists and students to feel like they belong. I, I just wanted to say and make clear the connection, not just for the therapists and increasing the diversity of therapists, but also the impact on outcomes for our patients. And I think we, we forget that the more diverse and the more we understand our patients, the better our outcomes are. So everyone wins. And I think if we can continue to, you know, really, hit that point home, it'll make more sense for that, that um, therapist in West Virginia and that therapist in Ohio, it really helps family outcomes and patient outcomes. So I just wanted to make sure that we, we said that before we parted. Very, very, very valuable contribution. I, I do agree. I do agree. Everyone wins with increased diversity and inclusion. Anyone else? I just wanted to put in a plug in for our next mentorship night, which is actually next Tuesday. Right. And we were talking about um, studying for the boards and, you know, giving the students resources for that. So it's on physio, it's physio trivia. So it's a fun night. And so it's next Tuesday at 8 p.m. But, um, you know, you can come on, join on as a single per, you know, as solo or you can come on as a team and let's see, test out your PT knowledge if you're trying to study for the boards or see what you know, or for clinicians to see, you know, what is it that, you know, from back in school again, that maybe you might've forgotten, but join us <laughs> next Tuesday at um, 8 p.m. And you can go onto the website to, um, to be able to sign up for that. Okay, so you guys don't miss it. Physio Trivia Night, uh, DA Committee Mentorship Night held every first Tuesday of the month at 8 p.m. 
there is a Zoom link that you have to register to receive so you can join. So um, is there like a prize for the winner? Because I'm, I'm competitive, so. <laughs> we're, we're leaving that up to the students. Uh, the SIG is, is going to be working on that, um, but I'm sure they'll, they'll come up with something good. All right, I have to bring a team because I know if I go solo, I'm definitely gonna be like flunking out. They're gonna be like, "Whoa, she's a therapist." <laughs> <laughs> so, oh man! But yes, yeah, so I, I I I made it, and I'm still practicing. I still have my license. Just got my renewal, so I'm pretty grateful for that. So uh, thank you guys for tuning in again. Please do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rate and review. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for listening. And this ends our broadcast for tonight. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.